Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello. Today I'd like to welcome a very special guest to Naropa University, Lama Rod Owens. He is a visiting distinguished lens lecturer, an author, activist, and Lama. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to highlight about yourself? Yeah. I mean, I guess first and foremost, I'm a lot of fun. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, I think you should lead with that all the time. Yeah. I do a bunch of things. You know, I, I teach cross traditions, not just Vajrayana Buddhism, but okay. insight traditions. And I work with activists around emotional health mm, and self-care. Yeah. I work with an app called Awaken. Okay. Um, and we are specializing in meditations geared towards activists that helps us to think about how to to bridge our contemplative practice into social change work. Yeah. And lots of travel. I'm on my way to Europe to do a mm. six-week tour, teaching tour of Europe. Cool. I'm working on my next book. Which um, is? It's a dialogue between love and rage. Oh, lovely. So, so my <laughs> lecture tonight will actually be kind of a preview okay. of that work. Is it like love and rage speaking to each other? Mm-hmm. I like that. And then what arises between that dialogue, yeah. which is heartbreak. Uh. And then when heartbreak <laughs> arises, then we move into self-care and self-preservation. Mm. Yeah, oh. I like that. So yesterday you did a talk in the Performing Arts Center at Naropa, mm-hmm. and your talk was about happiness. Mm-hmm. And you had this like beautiful, authentic story of when you were walking in, you were like, I don't feel happy, mm-hmm. and I have to present happiness. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of made me want to ask you, how are you feeling today? Mm-hmm. I want to just check in with you. Yeah. yeah, you know, I feel a lot better. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's such a contradiction or an irony that you're, you know, you're having to go and talk about being happy mm-hmm. when you're just actually moving through a lot of discomfort, you know? Yeah. And so the work then in that moment begins um, to be turning our minds, or rather for me, turning my mind towards experience of happiness, which for me is synonymous with experiences of spaciousness. Yeah. You know, so I think we get really fixated mm. on the difficult stuff, you know, um, which is yeah. really easy to do in the practice of Dharma and Buddhism is to get stuck in the suffering and the dukkha. Yeah. Because that's what we always lead with. Yeah. And you, you were know? talking about the dukkha yesterday and yeah. the suffering and how I how I see that is that's facts. Yeah. That's just that's just what is. Mm-hmm. And the better we are able to work with that, the better we are to able to sustain ourselves mm-hmm. emotionally mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there'll always be suffering yeah you know but i think that we begin to transform our relationship to the suffering and therefore the suffering itself transforms yes too you know but it's all about relationships is about yeah. how we are centered within the sense of self mm-hmm. and ego and how the ego is always interpreting phenomena yeah you know <laughs> and it, yep. it interprets phenomena to 
give itself life, you know, and a narrative and a purpose, you know. But yeah. that purpose doesn't have to be about being happy and free. It can also be about suffering and pain, you know. Yeah. So any way that the ego can actually differentiate itself, mm-hmm. it will do that. I see the ego as a barometer for yeah. what doesn't vibrate with you. It's a tool mm-hmm. to when like, wow, this isn't working for me. Mm-hmm look into that. What does that actually mean? Keep, keep diving into the questions. And that's how I see the work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you have to be very clear about what the work is. Are you doing your work? Or are you doing someone else's work? Yeah. Or you're just making up shit to do to keep busy? How do you how does one know when it's mm-hmm. your work and or someone else's work? We stay very close to yeah. our discomfort. Like so we, you know, as Trungpa Rinpoche often taught, we're befriending these parts of ourselves that yeah. we habitually avoid. We move into direct relationship. If we're staying close to it, like we know mm-hmm. the narratives, we know where it's arising from. Yeah. You know, it, it guides us mm. into saying, okay, like this is the work that I'm doing, you yeah. know, yeah, for yeah. myself. Okay. And you also talked about like relationship. And yeah. when I think about relationship, I think about the idea of relationship is able to change mm-hmm. because we have these ideas in our mind that things are what we learned when they, we first learned them. Mm-hmm. You know, like our idea of love. How has your idea of love mm-hmm. changed since you started the Dharma? I'm yeah. sure it's changed multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so absolutely. redefining what things mean to us i'm feeling like is very important and relationship Mm -hmm. is one of those Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely when i you know before dharma i had no idea what love was i couldn't even define it yeah so when i came into dharma and when i got this definition of love being the wish for others to be happy that was actually quite radical for me because i had a Mm. starting point and i began to understand that i don't have to like you to love you yeah i I don't have to like you to want you to be free and happy Mm. you know and love takes us into really depressing places and really difficult places to be so it's not this thing that we do to feel good you know it's this thing that we do to get free and to free others Mm. by decentering ego and wanting people to be the their best selves and to be directly in tune with their basic goodness yeah it sounds like unconditional stuff right there condition yeah very cool there's this sense of honoring the feelings that come up and I'm, I'm seeing a narrative kind of come out with when you're speaking about this. And Mm -hmm. I love how authentic you are to the feelings you are feeling in the moment. Mm -hmm. Is there like mechanisms or tools that you use to help Mm -hmm. you regulate that? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's basic practices of mindfulness and awareness and putting those into conversation in order to have a sense of what's happening Mm -hmm. in the moment, how to move through experiencing things that are coming up that's basic dharma is just being aware yeah you know and my liberatory practice my personal liberatory practice is actually stating that and acknowledging this is where i'm at in my body yeah you know this is what i'm feeling this is what i'm experiencing yeah you know and when you're able to do that as a teacher as as a facilitator or or a meditation instructor you're actually giving people a really profound strategy to be free and open where yeah. they are. I feel like that's what people want when they come to the Dharma mm-hmm. is strategies yeah. to be free. Yeah. And you're like, here you go. Yeah. Here's some tools. Yeah. And it's not what you think it is. It's actually way <laughs> less sexier, way less glamorous. You know, Dharma isn't sexy or glamorous for me. Yeah. You know, it's just work. 
yeah. you know, it's discipline <laughs> and work. And I do it because the fruit is mm. this spaciousness, this openness where mm. I can just be with my life. Yeah. You know, and I'm not interested in trying to avoid everything, but I become really interested in moving into direct relationship yeah. with, with everything that comes up from, from me because it's mine, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where the liberation actually happens. And you're like, oh, I'm doing this work now, yeah. you know, <laughs> and over the years of practice, yeah. you realize you become a different person. You begin to trust yourself more mm. because you're always in tune with yeah. your experiences coming up. And that's what I love. Yeah. It just becomes very ordinary. How often do you run into people that want Dharma to be sexy? Yeah. All the time. <laughs> you You're know. Like, what do you mean? It's like I just have to sit, that's it? Like it's not <laughs> Yeah, you just you have to sit and but you know, we have so many people and so many industries arising that are you know, making Dharma really sexy and selling it. Yeah. For people. Yeah. You know, and that's those those are the people I have to I don't want to say compete with, but these are the people that I'm with, you know, where I'm just like, well, I don't know any other way but to be with pain. Where other people are selling other things that are saying, well, you know, you can just be happy yeah. and avoid the pain, you know. And that's the, a big difference <laughs> in what's happening. People are selling happiness as a bypassing yeah. tool, you know, yeah. whereas authentic dharma is about, no, you go through the pain and the suffering in order to understand what happiness is within the mists of yes. struggle. And yesterday you touched on that a lot of, mm. of not going around it, not going over mm-hmm. it. And I remember being in camp and there's like a song, there's yeah. like this little sing-along song is like, you got to go through it. Yeah. And I, I extremely resonate with that because mm-hmm. I've had a lot of moments in my life where I look back on the hardest, like the heartfelt moments that were really hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. And they were the best thing that's that, like mm-hmm. ever happened in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, I became mm-hmm. a completely different person pretty quickly rapidly Mm -hmm. over that time so could you speak upon actually moving through it and how skillful that is compared to just Mm -hmm. stepping aside and bypassing yeah because it doesn't just disappear if you bypass it Mm -hmm. you know so we have to develop the attitude that like if i don't actually move into relationship and move through it then i can't actually metabolize it and work with it yeah you know but once we start moving through it and into it the pain the suffering actually begins to reveal its true nature to us and it's not what we think it is you know, yeah. Sometimes for me, it's like a roller coaster. So you get on the first ascent, going yeah. up the first hill, and you're yeah. like, "Oh, this is gonna suck." <laughs> you're like, "Why did I get on this ride?" Can you I know? get off? Can I get off? Uh-oh. Can we just stop this? And then you get higher and higher. Then you get to the peak, you know, and yeah. you're slowly tipping down, and you're like looking down that slope, <laughs> yeah. and you just like crash down into it, and you're just like, you know, what? I'm just gonna be here. You know, yeah. I'm just going to like lean into this yeah. and have fun. And that's really my approach to working with this. I just go mm. in and I'm like, you know, I'm going to find a way to have fun. I'm going to find a way to celebrate this. But ultimately, I'm going to be present to this and allow this moment to teach me yeah. something. Nobody and, said being present is going to feel good. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? But being present is where the work is, mm-hmm. you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, ooh. It like feels good. I like that because <laughs> there's a sense of when you are present, you are able to like the ego has like its own mind and mm-hmm. it's going to talk to you and your mm-hmm. mind. You're going to have like an internal dialogue within mm-hmm. between your psyche, your ego, yep. your heart, your soul, yeah. all these like different mixtures of things collaborating with each other. Mm-hmm. And then 
what the presence does is mm-hmm. actually gets them together in a container and says mm-hmm. like, all right, let's hit, let's hear y'all out. Mm-hmm. Let's see what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, asking mm-hmm. yourself questions. Mm-hmm. And you just hold the space for that, for that dialogue to happen. Yeah. You know, and it becomes a really interesting dialogue because you begin to see things about yourself once you stop like creating boundaries and barriers between your different selves. Yeah. You know, bring everything into community. And it it is in this community of dialogue with the different parts of yourselves that you begin to understand who you really are and what you're being motivated by and what you're being drawn to and what your appetite is. Mm. And you begin to make skillful choices about how to reduce violence. Yeah. Yeah. That, like, never hurts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How would one practice being present? How do you practice being present? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just this this checking in. It's like, okay, what am I feeling? Where am I at in my body? Where am I at in my mind? Mm-hmm. Where am I being distracted by? Yeah. You know, um, where am I avoiding? So for me, it's a series of questions, and it actually yeah. just drops me right into what's happening in the very moment. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, okay. And then you say, okay, this is where I'm at. This is how I'm yeah. feeling. Yeah. It's funny too because the questions will lead to more questions, yes. which will lead to more questions, and then, and then by the time you can't ask yourself any more <laughs> questions, mm-hmm. you're like, "Is this it?" Yeah. And then you have the moment of like, "I'm okay with that," because yeah. that's that's how I feel. This is authentic at this moment. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's authentic, but this is exactly what you're experiencing. You know, we all have suffering, the dukkha. Mm-hmm. We all want to be happy, and. What I really liked what you were saying yesterday was I I do this thing where, you know, you can say the word love, you can say the word happiness, Mm -hmm. you can say the word Mm -hmm. compassion. Mm -hmm. I like to go a step further Mm -hmm. and I like to put the word skillful in front of it Mm -hmm. because once you add skillful, it has this different way of moving through the space. Mm -hmm. And I notice you do that too. Mm-hmm. And I was resonating with that a lot because you were talking about skillful sadness. Mm-hmm. Most people would scratch their head and be like, <laughs> what the hell? Mm-hmm. Skillful, like, how do you be skillfully sad? Mm-hmm. And I was curious, can you speak upon that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So skillful anything, but in this case, skillful sadness is actually how we bring a presentness or, or an awareness or a mindfulness to what we're experiencing and allow that experience to teach us something. You know, not we're not just allowing it to be there, but we're looking at it as a teacher that this is material data mm-hmm. that's actually really precious, you know, about what we're doing and how we are in the world and how we can actually begin to make different choices yeah. that will impact this experience for me, you know. So you don't waste it. You know, we don't yeah. waste it by paying yeah. attention to it. You know, yeah, I can I can be sad. You know, I can just carry that around, but that's not skillful. Skillfulness means that like, oh, I'm actually feeling sad. I wonder where the sadness is in my body. I wonder what the narrative around this is. I Mm -hmm. wonder if this is telling me to make certain choices that I'm not making, you know? Yeah. I wonder if this is leading me somewhere that I resist going. Yeah. You know? But most importantly, we're using sadness to say, you know what? I'm not the only one in the world who's sad. Yeah. That my heart is full of sadness. So are a lot of other people's. And I wonder how I can bridge, you know, my work around sadness and mm-hmm. being free from sadness with other people's, like, wish to be free from some from sadness and suffering. Yeah. 
you know, and that's skillful. We're using it. Mm -hmm. It's telling us to connect, Mm -hmm. understand you're not the only one. This is a basic human, you know, condition, you know, and that I can get, become a part of helping people to, to manage their sadness, to move through their sadness. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of compassion when you're in the sadness, knowing that other people are sad too. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of makes your heart a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. knowing that other people are suffering too. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It helps you move that energy a little bit better and not bypass it almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I really, I'm really enjoying how you say, don't waste it. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to waste it? That's some nutrition for your soil. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. your energetic soil is. Mm-hmm being enriched by this emotion that society labels taboo. Mm -hmm. But when you can process it, then that's where the goodness comes out of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But, you know, people have to be interested in that. Like they have to actually have this basic trust that (laughs) it is possible to move through sadness. And most people don't. Even like even Dharma practitioners, not all Dharma practitioners buy into this. You know, um, because our emotional reality is so intense, Mm. you know, and it took me a bit as a new practitioner years ago that where I was just like, oh, this isn't enough. You know, this is not going to be enough to actually confront this really intense rage that I experienced. And then my basic strategy became patience, Mm. you know, and then within patience, kindness, you know, towards myself. And that started triggering this kind of spaciousness. You know, I began to relax and begin to understand that my rage and anger were so precious for me, you yeah. know, that maybe my reactivity, my compulsory relationship to that, those emotions maybe weren't that skillful, yeah. but the energy itself, the presence of the anger was quite skillful, was quite precious because it was actually teaching me a lot. You know, as Audre Lorde writes, you know, there's so much data uh-huh. And anger, you know, and we misuse anger when we don't actually mine that data. You know, it just becomes this yeah. energy that we manipulate and we use often to hurt people. And mm-hmm. we use it to hurt ourselves, you know, but yeah. beneath it is always the hurt. When you are angry and you're using it not skillfully, mm-hmm. you start hurting people. But when you have a very clear lens of mm-hmm of how to process where the Mm -hmm. root is coming from. You Mm -hmm. have like a clear idea. And I feel like this is what the contemplative model, the following Mm -hmm. spirit, following your heart, like that's the stuff that people talk about the Mm -hmm. work. That's where it is. It's like a slingshot. It propels Mm -hmm. you so much further than just always being happy. Like, what do you mean? I gotta be sad. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, nah, I want that. Mm -hmm. I want to be, I want to be happy all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Mm-hmm. This just happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thanks for sharing all that. Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. feels it feels really potent at this moment mm-hmm. to hear that we, it's okay to feel what you feel. Yeah. What we're missing right now in so many of the conversations that we're having in our communities and nationwide is just these nuances. Like we're all hitting extremes because of our deep woundedness. Yeah. And the deep anger that comes from that woundedness, we just mm-hmm. it forces us to hit these intense extremes, and we don't know how to listen to ourselves anymore, and to listen to others. And so, if we don't know how to listen, we don't actually know how to discern 
the nuances. It's neither black or white. It's this immense uh, range of greenness, you know, mm-hmm. which is complex. Yeah. But we're not interested in complexity. We're actu- we're actually quite interested in simplicity, and that's where so much of our violence comes from. Mm-hmm. Is in oversimplifying everything. Yeah, I kind of think that th- everything is simple. Mm-hmm. But it's just simplicities upon simplicities. Mm-hmm. So it seems complex. Yeah. Like the universe mm-hmm. seems complex. Mm-hmm. But there's like this macro, micro, as above, mm-hmm. so below kind of idea. Mm-hmm. I like playing with that yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. And so you know, we, we all are endowed with our basic goodness, our basic Buddha nature. You know, that we then we have these folds of ignorance mm. that take us away from <laughs> that basic goodness. And so and I think one of the things that we begin to understand, and this is actually quite echoed in early um, Buddhist literature and Theravada literature, where you have these minute step-by-step ways of uh, what I I say metabolizing, but deconstructing reality, deconstructing thoughts and emotions and sensations, Mm -hmm. you know, because we're trying to, to peel back these simplicities, you know, because all this layer of all these really simple things get stacked up and it gets really complex. So you're peeling back layer yeah. after layer of layer, and this is why I love early Buddhism. Yeah, you know, this is what <laughs> is not echoed in the later vehicles of Buddhism is this nuanced simplicity. Yeah, you know, um, so we just take it step by step, mm-hmm. you know, and then over time we get quicker. You know, like you start peeling through these layers because you start earning these realizations, yeah. and those realizations actually cut us directly into the nature of reality. And this is why I love Vajrayana and the higher mm. vehicles because it's like, okay, let's get there quicker, but you still have to do the work. Yeah. But here are some really skillful things we're going to add to the practices that get yeah. th- that that rev us up. Yeah. So when you talk about the layers, what what just came to mind for me is the layers of conditions. Yeah the mm-hmm. conditions that we have. And so when you're talking about deconstructing, what that mm-hmm. sounds like to me is is learning how to uncondition ourselves from what society, family situations, mm-hmm. friends, communities that we're, mm-hmm. we run with mm-hmm. and how that affects us internally, like our psyche, our, mm-hmm. our hearts, our, how we externally show up to the world. Mm-hmm. And so what it sounds like to me is we are learning how to uncondition ourselves to be betterly conditioned to what serves us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we talked a little bit about ego and how befriending something that normally you don't want to be friends with. Mm-hmm. What are some practices that you do to befriend something like that? Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about befriending parts of myself that I would rather avoid, it's really about, for me, the practice of compassion for myself, mm. you know, and understanding that what I experience is something that all sentient beings experience or have experienced at one point. Yeah. You know, that what I experience is not a judgment but it's directly related to my wisdom and skillfulness. And so yeah. the closer relationship I can have to the things that I'm avoiding, the more I begin to understand how to unravel these experiences mm. so I don't have to experience certain things again or I know the strategy to move very quickly through it so it doesn't yeah. become the source of intense suffering for me. 
as the practitioner or the mm-hmm. person becomes more skillful mm-hmm. in these unconditioning techniques and realizing what's relevant to them, mm-hmm. they foresee things in the future. They mm-hmm. they become more energetically clairvoyant. You can say <laughs> they're right. like right. they're like ooh, I see that over there. I ain't going over there. Right. Right. Or like oh, I see that over there. I am running over there. Yeah. You know what I mean. So you're able to um, foresee what serves you. Mm-hmm sooner than later Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and maybe not having to do so much work in the back end yeah exactly i I think that's really reasonable to say you know what if i put in the work up front then on the back end this would be a different experience you know this is just like why we practice as much as we can in our lives because at the moment of our death this is where this is the back end so the Mm. death is the back end (laughs) of our practice and so it will be revealed to us the depth of our practice and our realizations at the moment of death you know so you don't wait to the moment that you're dying to start practicing yeah you know you start you start when you can it's different for everyone so Uh you know but whatever we do will deeply impact for the better yeah, this moment of transition for yeah. us. The bottle ain't gonna lie. Mm-mm. <laughs> Not a lot of things lie, but our minds and our aversions. Yeah. You know, like we just get into this habit of like, I, you know, I don't want to deal with this, so let's create something else. Bypassing. Yeah. I'm gonna mm-hmm. step aside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have a couple questions yeah. for you. What does mindfulness mean to you? Yeah. You know, so mindfulness mindfulness for me is this strategy of coming into the present moment with this kind of warmth, curiosity. Yeah. You know, it's um paying attention, you know, and it's also a practice of ethics. I pay attention and practice curiosity because I want to be a better person. I want yeah. to be a less violent person so I can bring my mind to focusing on things that cultivate goodness. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that's how, you know, no matter what space I'm in, uh-huh. you know, teaching mindfulness, that's my basic like definition. So I'm always, I always say this is an ethical activity mm. about cultivating an attention towards what is positive and what is good. Yeah. You know, you have this thing where you talk about violence and you say violence of the self or mm-hmm. violence to the external. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I really like that mm-hmm. because even if it's not this violence, we our mind dictionary kind of runs to of mm-hmm. like hurting someone, mm-hmm. but there is a difference of hurting yourself. Yes. So it's like a self-violence. Yeah. I really like how you uh, phrase that. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think we have to think really more, much more complex about violence. You know, I yeah. think sometimes I think the way that we use violence is a way what the, way, the ways that we understand violence, what rather is a way for us to bypass understanding how we're violent towards ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that. And also, I think that we get into this place where we're like, well, that's violent and this isn't, you know, but my basic understanding of violence is harm. You know, it's like, so whatever I do to create harm is violence. You know, even if I just say something that's violent, (laughs) if I think something that's violent, if I do something that's violent against other people, against myself, it doesn't matter. So if we put ourselves into relationships, understanding that like, yeah, we're in these interdependent relationships and we're always impacting one another. But Mm -hmm. it's not that we're going to be, it's not that we're going to completely reduce to zero our violence in the world, but we're trying to greatly reduce it. You know, and then we're able to to do other practices to hold the space for the things that we actually aren't skillful or conscious enough to see. 
But I think part of enlightenment is about understanding how we're interconnected in, in certain ways, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, I think there are different ways to understand enlightenment. But yeah. there are many enlightened beings in the world who do violence as well. So it gets complex. Complexities. Yeah. There's might be a little practice in there to, mm-hmm. to have this internal question where you ask yourself, am I being violent to mm-hmm. others? Am I being violent to myself? Am mm-hmm. I being violent to my ego, mm-hmm. my psyche, my heart? Am I following my path? Yeah. You know? And you can just basically ask yourself, what do I need in this moment? And what do I want? Yeah. Where am I forcing to happen? Am I listening to myself? Or am I listening to other people? You know, am I grounded in my agency? Am I honoring other people's agency? You know, agency is is incredibly important in this practice. We have to have a sense of power over ourselves. We have to have a sense that we can make certain choices to benefit ourselves and others. Yeah. If we don't have that basic agency or that sense of agency, then we will be victims of violence and we will be agents mm. of violence at the same time often. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> All right, I got one more yeah. question for you. Trungpa was known for bringing Buddhism. When the iron bird flies, <laughs> Buddhism comes to the West. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so there's this idea that Buddhism is here mm-hmm. and it's and it has its roots mm-hmm. now. It's been here for a while. Yeah. How do you see contemporary Western Buddhism showing up in America yeah. or the West regions? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's great. You know, and Buddhism was here before Trungpa got here. Buddhism came yeah. with. Chinese, Japanese immigrants, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, we see early roots of Buddhism, late 1800s, you know, yeah. where Westerners were actually coming back and mm-hmm. trying to teach, you know, <laughs> I mean, not that successfully because there was no infrastructure, you yeah. know, uh, and then Chinese and Japanese folks started immigrating in, in the mm-hmm. early 1900s and really started building temples and yeah. and everything. And I think that created a foundation. I think Trungpa Rinpoche realized that, mm-hmm. you know, um, for Trungpa Rinpoche and for some of, you know, our pioneers to come in, you know. And I think that he created a really strong foundation, particularly in terms of language. Mm. Like, he was the first to actually translate Dharma into a way that kind of galvanized people, you know. But it was actually strictly related to a certain class and racial group and ethnicity, Mm -hmm. you know, of people. But it still was, like, the first shot Mm. that, like, landed, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that for me, I was I'm, I've been so deeply inspired by that. And so my example of Trungpa Rinpoche, the way that I try to emulate that is to actually rephrase Dharma, you know. And for me, I think Trungpa was trying to translate Dharma to to support people, to support these new students he was encountering here. Yeah. You know, my translation of Dharma is actually to support and to articulate my experience of how Dharma is moving through my body. Yeah. You know, and that in turn is having this effect of creating a language mm. that actually speaks to a lot of different people. And so I think right now in the West, I think we're going through this experimental phase where there are people doing what I'm doing. There yeah. are people trying to figure out what doesn't work for us, you know, that, that we've gotten our teachings directly, at least for me. I directly studied with Tibetans, yeah. you know? And so how do we take the teachings out of this cultural context and try to figure out how to mm. do it in a Western American context? And it's yeah. going to look very different. But I think there's an essence that we can bring forth into American Dharma, yeah. you know? And it, it's yeah. going to be really interesting yeah. to look at. But I think yeah. Dharma will take root within 
communities of marginalized folks, mm. you know? Yeah. And that's a narrative in America that we habitually avoid looking at. Yes. You know, that change only happens within communities of the most marginalized and mm. most oppressed. And I think marginalized, oppressed communities have a different relationship to suffering. You know, it, it's real. It's not something we read in a book. It's something we're born into and we're like, oh, yeah. this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think a lot of Jews get involved in Buddhism because there's this transhistorical trauma of the Holocaust, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. at least talking with my Jewish friends, you know, it's like you just get it. Like you're born in the families and you yeah. get it. And it's like, what do you do with that? And a lot of people mm-hmm. move into Dharma to help metabolize that trauma, yeah. you know, that their tradition isn't you know quite working with. So I think that's going to be the same thing, you know, in terms of marginalized people of color communities. It's like, yeah, I think we're going to start working with Dharma in a, such a direct way. That's mm-hmm. not a performance. It's actually about we are experiencing this and we want to get free. So let's stop bullshitting and just do it. Yeah. You know? You know, and yeah. a lot of like white majority community Dharma communities actually don't know how to struggle, you mm. know, in certain ways. And so it's like, I think for me, my experience as a person of color who's also queer identified has mm-hmm. been this earning of Dharma in a really intense way. Yeah. You know, it's like I just didn't read a book and it was like, oh, this this sounds great. Yeah. It sounds really sexy. I'm just going to do <laughs> this. No, I, re- I needed to save my life. I was dying in so many mm. ways. You know, and so I needed to save my life. So I took it seriously. And of course, I got really extreme with it. You know, I I took it to, I moved so quickly through it that people thought I was kind of like, you know, off. (laughs) You know, it's like people just didn't believe that I could actually go so quickly. Yeah. But when you find something that is saving your life, then mm-hmm. that's a whole nother relationship that you have to. You begin to consume it, and that consumption begins to nourish something that eventually you begin to put back out yes. into the world as something that's been processed and metabolized. Yeah. And that's what people are getting from me is something that's been processed and metabolized mm-hmm. and boiled down to this really pure form. Yeah. And they don't really get that because yeah. I'm not parroting or performing you know, texts, you know, you know, I'm just saying, no, this is the way Dharma lives in my body. Yeah. Through direct experience, through a direct understanding of this is how I am in the moment. And this is what I'm doing to be less Mm. violent. You're just like an essential oil, the pure medicine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I have one more question just because this one just kind of came up. You label yourself as a a queer person in the community Mm -hmm. and you're also a man of color. Yeah. And you study Tibetan Buddhism. Mm-hmm. How does that show up for you when you're going to different communities, mm-hmm. um, maybe some marginalized, maybe some uh-huh. not? Uh-huh. How does that show up for you being the labels that you run with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, it's the label. So these these narratives. So I define identity as just these narratives, these stories we tell ourselves, yeah. you know, about who we think we are. You know, so these narratives, you know, I allow dharma the teachings to kind of filter through these narratives so mm-hmm. i was never anyone who believed that like oh you have to like dharma somewhere up there and we just have to reach for it and get it but yeah. my my whole practice is no let dharma just like flood you <laughs> yeah. like let dharma just enter into your body uh-huh. and see what happens and mm. see what comes out of that you know so while i'm going in and out of these communities it's like yeah i have all these identities yeah. you know but what i'm actually just saying and 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 speaking about is just basic presence and basic mm. awareness and how to get free from, you know from suffering you know so yeah. it's not 
So, but I do it in a way that where people who identify with my intersectionality, they kind of get mm-hmm. like how I did it. And they can kind of emulate that and follow that. And I think this is why radical dharma has been so important because people are actually able to read the experiences of black dharma teachers yeah. and black and serious black practitioners. And they're like, oh, this is how you did it. Yeah. And you, yeah, you went through a process of having to change, but then you realize that you didn't actually have to change you know, that I shouldn't change for Dharma. Dharma should mm. change me. Yes. You know? Yes. And so real quick, Radical Dharma yep. is a book that you co-authored mm-hmm. with Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, mm-hmm. yes? Mm-hmm. And Dr. Uh, Yasmin Saidula yeah. as well. Awesome. Yeah. So if y'all out there want to dive deeper into the knowledge, yeah, there's a little book out there to read. Yeah. And people can always stay connected to me. Just visit my website, you know, lamarod.com. Awesome. And I will be announcing my next book hopefully soon. It won't come out to next year, to June 2019. Okay. But you'll get word and <laughs> so forth about it later awesome. this year. Well, I really appreciate you speaking with us. I know you have something else you need to run to. We Naropa is like pulling you here and there. Um, but I really appreciate you talking with us yeah. and just sharing your love, your knowledge, your extremely digestible information and very relatable. So thank mm-hmm. you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. I'd like to thank our very special guest to Naropa University, Lama Rod Owens. He is the visiting Distinguished Lens lecturer, author, activist, and Lama. So thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.